Hey guys, it's Jennifer from the Shooter's Mindset, and we are live with episode 384. This is a very interesting episode. We're going to get to talk to all of the champions from the Team USA from the recent International Precision Rifle Federation match, um, the, the world championship that just happened in France. So we have a bigger group this week, but it's got all of our winners from the different divisions. So I'll introduce them in just a minute. Um, first, we've got our co-host, Greg Cannon. How's it going tonight? Good. All right. And then to introduce all of our people here, we have, uh, I got to go back to the picture where I can see y'all's faces, uh, Peyton Grimes, Coulter Marriott, Rusty Ulmer, and Austin Bushman are here with us. So we're going to go through and introduce all of y'all um, one at a time. So maybe I'll kind of go through the divisions and let y'all tell us a little bit about um, how you got into shooting and got to go over there. So we'll start with uh, we'll start with limited. So our limited division winner, we had Coulter Marriott. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into shooting. So my name is Colton Marriott. I'm a home builder here in College Station, Texas. I um, originally got into shooting long range probably about 2015, 2016, just so that I could become a better hunter and be able to shoot deer from further away. And then just fell in love with the sport and competitions. Uh, started shooting PRS matches, I believe 2019 was my first year, uh, whatever the finale was out there at Triple C in Texas and been doing it ever since. I shoot for Team NPA, love it. It's like family, rusty. And that's it. Um, started shooting limited about a month before France, picked up a 308 and started shooting again. And I've absolutely loved 308. And I'm so blessed to have been able to, for this opportunity and to be able to shoot a 308 over there because I had the time of, my life, time of my life. It was great. That's awesome. It was a good time. I know I could tell everybody had such a blast over there. It, it was good. My limited family was good. Uh, Buck and Leon and Matt. I mean, they, they were awesome. I wish they could all be here right now. Well, we and we would have loved to have the whole team on, but it would have been a little overwhelming. <laughs> all right, now we'll hit the ladies. So we have Peyton Grimes. So for anybody that didn't catch on, these they did, weren't just the top American in each of these divisions. They won the division overall. So um, there were 26 countries there competing uh, in different divisions. And so Coulter won the limited division for over everyone. Um, now, just while we're on limited, real quick before we move to women's, how did the other U.S. teammates fare? They did awesome. We took first through fourth place. And so it was um, Team USA represented very well. And they were a hit. Everybody loved hanging out with Team USA. It, it was a lot of fun. And one other little fun fact about Limited, in, for IPRF rules, Limited is just like our TAC class in that it's actually 308 or 223. However, 223s are actually outlawed in the country of France. And so the Limited class became a 308 class. And so we all shot 308 by default. So that, that was all of them. They were all 308. And that was, some of it was a last minute scramble to get guns, I know, for some people that don't normally shoot um, 308. So it was interesting. So was 
The next division that we had was the ladies division. And we have Peyton Grimes here who took the win overall for the ladies division. So tell us, I know we had Peyton on just a couple of weeks ago, but tell us just real quick about yourself, how you got into shooting and then tell us how the other ladies fared also. Uh, so I got into competition uh, about two years ago and I had started a few years before that uh, up at Gunworks, just trying to be a better hunter and actually learn how to shoot a rifle. And so Philip Vallejo uh, taught me everything I knew in the beginning and he asked if I want to do competition. So that's how I got into that. And um, the ladies, they did awesome. We took top three and we were, we were all really close. Like after the first day, we were basically all tied. And then that separation came the second day, but we were all up there and did really great. Yeah. I being at home watching y'all's scores were super tight uh even some of the other scores open too and it would depend on when we were looking um who had shot how many stages right um so we would look you know at one point it looked like you know some of the americans were way behind and it was because they hadn't shot their stage you know they hadn't shot the same number of stages and then they'd pop yeah. back up so it was we didn't know they had that feature we didn't even know you could click on their name and see all the stats. We were like, we learned that like at the end of day two, we were like, really? <laughs> that happened around the end of day two. Yeah, oh, I was about to say. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I was sitting there and I forgot the guy's name um, off the top of my head, but there was somebody who was doing the same thing as me with a little bit more free time on his hand and was <laughs> pulling everything into Google Sheets and sharing it so that we could all see that overall match view and know where everybody was at. Um, so that was super super nice but then when they added that feature where you can click and see how many stages everyone shot mm -hmm. that was that was very useful it was good so the next division we had was the senior division we have rusty ulmer who took that overall win so tell us uh how you got into shooting and then who else was shooting seniors and how they did well, I've been shooting shooting a rifle since I could walk pretty much, but uh, then for a long time, I didn't shoot rifle. I shot archery for a long time, but uh, I started in a PRS competition in 2016 and uh, just kind of fell in love with it and got hooked and been shooting a lot. But yeah, I found out from Scott Satterley that they were going to have this uh, this world championship earlier in the year last year and uh so i i was definitely interested knew i wanted to do it and uh but paul higley and i were the only ones that that uh ended up going over there and we ended up first and second so that was pretty cool to have have the top of the podium we uh unfortunately we didn't have a third team member and in order to win the team or even compete in the team you had to have three shooters but I didn't add it up, but a lot of people have told me that apparently our two scores would have put us in second place, but we didn't get that because we didn't have enough shooters. So hopefully next time we'll be able to take a full team. It's pretty impressive though. Yeah, I think Christine Allen has already volunteered Brian to come as y'all's third. I, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I texted Brian and I said, you know, you really should have been there, buddy. <laughs> anyway, hopefully he's gonna come. Awesome. I'm sure we'll drum up some more next time to get people to go, more people to Absolutely. go. I think this was kind of kind of surprised everybody. A lot of people didn't know about it. And so it kind of caught everybody off guard. But 
man, it was amazing just looking at Facebook, how many people were following this so closely in the shooting community. I didn't know that many people knew about it, but it was, uh, it was awesome to have all of these Americans cheering us on back home. And right now that's what's going on in the comment section. I normally read every comment, but there's a million congratulations to all of you. Good job, Team USA. American flags, howdy champs. All right, and then our for our overall champ though, so for the open division, which I believe was the largest division, um, and if you were to tally up all of the divisions together into one uh, overall winner, our winner for open and overall is Austin Bushman. So <laughs> Thank you. you tell us a little bit about you and how you got into shooting and got to be where you are and who else shot open and how they finished. All right. Well, I got into shooting. Um at a real young age shooting bb guns and pellet guns you know killing lots of little critters that didn't deserve it <laughs> and I, that continued all the way up through you know junior high high school i've always lived out in the texas panhandle or the oklahoma panhandle and there's not much else to do here except you know watch college football on tv or uh you know shoot guns and i chose shooting guns so I got into long distance shooting. Uh, we have an unlimited supply of prairie dogs out here in this part of the world. And it was a quest to increase my effectiveness in that game. And so I progressed through 17 HMR, 22s and 17 HMR and then two 23s. And when I got into college, I got my first, what I would consider like a precision rifle. And I bought my reloading gear at the same time. I thought, you know, I was reading online. I was like, everybody says you got to reload. So I'm going to buy the reloading stuff. And so, my like first rounds through my precision rifle were also my first reloads and through college I and and the years after uh I probably spent five or six years just where precision rifle was to me just a way to um be more effective for prey dogs and coyote hunting and I bet I shot 20,000 rounds before I ever even knew that PRS existed at doing those things and so i already had um at that point i already had some custom rifles and things like that so i had a little head start when i first got into prs and in 2017 is when i started seeing stuff online about competitions and i looked them up and found there was one in amarillo texas which is only about a uh, two-hour drive south of where i live in in oklahoma so drove down there attended that match with my brother and we both did not have a great showing score-wise. We both loved it. And I decided, okay, so at, at my first match ever, I took a 223 Ackley Improved, which is what my favorite cartridge for Prairie Dogs was. And I did all right with it, but I had a 65 by 47 barrel at home. And I was thinking, I'm going home, I'm putting that barrel on, I'm gonna learn how to shoot positional and I'm coming back to their next match. And I think I placed, you know, there's probably only like 25 guys at that match at Amarillo and some really good shooters in the group and some great guys that, that helped me learn, which is what you'll find anywhere in the sport. And from there, I shot a bunch of their one-day matches. I started shooting pretty heavily in uh, PRS two-day matches in 2018. Went to the finale in 18, 19, and then in 20 and 21, I started having some real success and got um, 
got some of these guys up here, which was nice. But uh, that's, I guess, and that's also how I qualified for this. For people that don't know, I might go through how we qualified. So in open class, it was, it was pretty strict qualifications to get in. It depended on kind of who, who applied, but it ended up most of the top qualifiers would have, uh, were also the guys that applied and went. So you had to submit scores of your top matches from the AG Cup, the NRL finale, or the PRS finale were pretty well the way the selection went. And so, um, you know, of, a, of the top open shooters, it ended up being myself, Austin Orgain, Clay Blackheader, uh, Morgan King, and Tate Streeter, and then Greg Bell. And, I mean, that's an awesome team. It'd be hard to, to pick a better team than that. Any one of those guys could easily win this. If we held the match six times, might have had six different winners. But so I so I feel fortunate. I'm getting a ton of attention, man. But those guys are all good friends, and it was a load of fun having them as teammates, getting to travel with them, and and they did. Uh, so we also took the top five spots. Uh, I got the highest score. Morgan King was one shot behind me. Tate Streeter was one shot behind him in third place. And Clay Blackadder was one shot behind Tate in fourth place. And I can't remember what Greg's, Greg Bell's score was, but he was fifth place. It was, it was It's so nice to, to see that happen. I think we all, we all thought it would happen because, of course, we're in America. We think we're the best. But it was nice that, that everybody showed up and performed across all our teams and for us to really to sweep the competitions like that. That's awesome. Now I'm going to go ahead and ask y'all these um, because I know everybody is going to want to know. So one at a time, and we'll go in the same order we just went, um, which is just counterclockwise for me, how I'm looking at y'all. Um, we'll go in order. Tell us what caliber you shot. I know limited was um, 308, but what caliber you shot and kind of the specs of your gun and gear, because everybody always likes to hear you know, what you shot. So I was shooting 308. We were supposed to have an ammo sponsor for the match. And about two or three weeks before the match happened, we got notification that the, the sponsor, and we only heard rumblings of who the sponsor was even going to be, but that they had pulled out. And so a lot of people were starting to worry. I'm big into reloading so I was a little bit stressed about having to shoot factory ammo so it was a blessing for me I went out and did load development right then and had a load ready to go that week because 308 you can anybody can load for 308 and so I was set uh my load components I was shooting were 175 grain burger OTMs with Hodgson Bargate powder and Lapua Palma 308 brass um my rifle itself was uh, Curtis action with uh, with a barrel that was spun up by Masterpiece Arms because I shoot for MPA with the MPA Pro chassis, Pro Matrix chassis, which oddly enough, I got the chassis in mail about a week and a half before. And so I was a little bit nervous taking some new product over there, but it was amazing. Um, and yeah, that's it. Oh, and Eric Cortina for a tuner break, for my break. And then MPA scope rings with a Night Force attacker scope. Sorry, 
I'll just regurgitate a bunch of information if that's too much or too little. I'm sorry. No, no, that was perfect. perfect. That's like to know. Okay. Sorry. No, you're perfect. I hate going first every time. <laughs> I'll change it up next time then. Okay, perfect. Well, I guess I'm next, aren't I? <laughs> All right. So I was shooting a 6BR um, in an impact, the Collis, uh, Ace Break, Bartland Barrel, uh, A-Tips with Lapua Brass, uh, Sperm Out, Vixen Andy, uh, KRG, the uh, new C4 with uh, a red beard paint job. Can't forget that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that, I think I got everything. <laughs> got it. Yeah, Weiberger hat. Oh yeah, Whataburger hat. We bad back. <laughs> <laughs> right, didn't you get some Whataburger swag? I did get some Whataburger swag. They sent me a hat and a backpack. I used I used it all weekend or all week. <laughs> and they sent me like a journal. I used a journal at school today. So <laughs> that's that, awesome. Did you like write him a message on Facebook or or how, how do you? Uh, my mom work? met one of the guys. Um, well, like one of the marketing guys like at one of the Fort Worth stores and told him about this world championship and he was like oh I'll send her some stuff like so I need to send him some pictures with my Whataburger stuff you do that that would be awesome yeah. <laughs> so I didn't know we were talking about bags too we did get the sweet uh we bad oh, team yeah. USA bags as well those were pretty awesome oh yeah those are awesome. Yeah, and then I gave that, I left one with the only junior at the match. So. That That's was, awesome. Very yeah. cool. I was going to leave mine, but being the resident College Station, Texas native, which is where WeBad is located, I felt obligated to bring it back to give it to them. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That is cool. All right, Rusty, you're up. Okay, well, I was shooting a, a six dasher with an impact action. A proof barrel um, chambered by Access Works. I'm um, in an MPA Matrix Pro chassis and tangent theta scope, Hawkins tactical rings, uh, Access Works enabler brake, uh, trigger tech trigger, Lapua brass, Burger 105 hybrid. That's that's pretty much the whole rundown on that, which is what I run on every map. So, run <laughs> <laughs> what you brung, right? Yep. All right. And Austin, how about you? Well, like Rusty just said, it was really easy because just for open class, you just bring what you normally bring. The only thing I had to change was uh, bringing 10 round mags instead of 12 round mags. So, I normally run a six dasher, uh, 105 hybrid, burger hybrids. And uh, Alpha Brass, my rifle is uh, Impact Action, the foundation stock. I chamber my own barrels and I prefer Bartline barrels. That's what I was using. Um, an Ace muzzle brake, uh, Hawkins bottom metal, Vixen Andy trigger, and I uh, use a Nightforce uh, scope. Sounds like you're from Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, Barely. So I have to ask Peyton, uh, do you, are you like a hero at school now? You went back to school? 
basically yeah <laughs> we met one of my college professors and one of my friends she told us to introduce ourselves and like to say like something cool about us and I was like I do precision rifle shooting and she was like oh that's so cool and then one of my friends piped in she's like yeah she's a world champion she just went to France and I was like oh my goodness <laughs> Wait, you're kidding me like that's, that's so cool and yeah I got a lot of congratulations and everything so that was that was really awesome that is awesome <laughs> yeah Greg, did you have a question from Prentice? I did. Oh, I did. Prentice. I'm gone. <laughs> I was wondering, what is cooler, a world champion trophy or a belt buckle from TX Precision? Texas Precision. Well, I don't have a belt buckle, so I know the answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's belt buckle from Clay's Cartridge Company is cooler. Don't have one of those either. Uh, <laughs> we all know why. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> really appreciate it. Just so you know, it was about four and a half seconds after we posted the show. Actually, no, it might have been before we even <laughs> said officially you were going to be on the show that he called and said uh, I had a question when you had the winners on the show. I'm not surprised. Our, uh, hey, are bell-bottom jeans a cool thing again? I noticed that on the on the podium. Yeah, I like them. And actually, yeah, me and Laurel had them. She wears them like every day. She's that's very her. I mean, I I like them, but I'm probably a poser. <laughs> <laughs> they seem a lot easier to to move in than the. Oh whole, yeah, like... they're real flowy. I'm I, I like them a lot. <laughs> yep. So. So before we get into talking too much about the match, there's another MVP that that is not on the show that we probably arguably could have put on the show, <laughs> like the Brady Bunch right in the middle or something. Uh, so Angela Zane apparently was like the team mom yes. that helped keep everybody together and gave y'all all the information up front. And so I know there's a lot of kudos to go to Angela, but I believe she failed y'all in one thing that she, she <laughs> and it's kind of a wheelhouse. So we're a little confused, Angela, how you missed this. So who wants to tell us about the one thing that Angela forgot to tell y'all? It's, it's my fault that, that this is being brought up. So sorry, Angela. <laughs> and it's just a joke. <laughs> Thank you, by the way. Angela put together a whole list and sent it out to the whole team on, uh, Every, all the paperwork we needed and like a checklist of everything made it very easy for us. So thank you for all that hard work. Yes. However, I didn't find out about the speed cameras in France on, on all their roads. They have speed cameras and they don't really enforce anything with actual police until like three days into the trip. Somebody mentioned the speed cameras and that was too late because <laughs> I've been still, I'm still getting emails from the French, whatever federation of traffic. So it was about three tickets too late, right? <laughs> I, I didn't say anything because Austin won the world championship, but it was actually his fault that I got all these speed tickets. Because when I very first land in France, I get we're on this group text, and I get this group text about how Austin was able to get his car up to 170 kilometers per hour and asking <laughs> if anybody was able to top that. And so I'm a competitor, so I had to try. And so the whole way from Paris to beach, all I was doing was trying to top 170 kilometers per hour. Every downhill slope was how fast can we go? So thanks, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> Took well, the most 
competitive people in precision rifle and <laughs> a challenge. Yeah. One ticket. I think it was like 30 euros so far. But we'll uh we'll give it another couple of weeks, then I'll text one of you guys to yeah. your group yeah. chat, group chat, see I, who has the many so we can have another world champion for Team USA. Most tickets and things. <laughs> I, I started wearing sunglasses every time I drove just to help with all the flashes. <laughs> You guys driving around thinking you're celebrities like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like, wow, they really do have strict gun laws over here monitoring us the whole time. <laughs> wow. Uh, so let's talk about kind of the, the feel of this match. Like, what does it feel like competing in this match? Is this like, obviously, it's a lot more than shooting a regional series. Is, do we put this like on the level of AG Cup, the PRS finale, or something way above, beyond, or different? I don't. I don't think that this felt like the AG Cup and I don't think it felt like the PRS finale. And the, my reasons for saying that PRS finale, you're in a squad with the guys ranked right there with you and you know, everybody there. And it's, it's a totally different feel. The AG Cup, a very limited number of shooters. It's a small match. So it doesn't feel the same. And to me, I'll let the other guys answer after but to me this felt a lot like a regular two-day match except for the language barriers i mean everything was very similar to matches i've shot in the u.s yeah i thought it was very laid back uh it was people helping people the whole time and just communicating and talking about stories about back home it was it was super laid back and chilled Yeah, I had no idea that so many people would uh, would speak English over there. I know that everybody <laughs> says that you, but you know, and almost everybody at the match spoke English. There were a, a yeah. few that didn't speak it very well, but you could talk to everybody in your squad. And I didn't have one person in my squad that was from the same country. Everybody was from a different country. And so at first, you know, it's it's like me flying from the West Coast back to the East Coast, and I don't know anybody, but you know, and I didn't know if it was against the rules to share wind or, you know, we usually do that in these PR matches here at home. Um, but nobody was talking wind, you know, nobody knew each other. And uh, about noon, I walked off the line and one guy asked me for my wind call. And man, after that, we were all buddies and we were sharing wind calls and cheering each other. I don't know. It was, it felt just like yeah. back home. Yeah. Mine felt the same. I mean, we had like a two-hour lunch break or so so it kind of went by pretty slow but it really just felt normal and it was awesome my squad was really great they were all acting like they all had met like the same time and they all acted like best friends and I was like this is so cool and they they messed with me and they gave me a hard time the whole time and I was like this is awesome this is just like back home <laughs> so so the, the really cool thing about European shooting culture is they like to praise you anytime something good happens. So anytime you come off and you have a good stage, it doesn't matter what country you're from, everybody stops what they do, what they're doing, and they start clapping for you. It was phenomenal. I, I was telling them if you did the PRS match here, you'd probably get your butt kicked back behind camera. But there it was everybody genuinely wanted everybody to shoot good and have a good time. It was awesome. The first time someone like cleaned a stage, they clapped and I was like, oh my gosh, we're doing that. <laughs> and then it happened after like, I like did good on a stage and I was like, oh, so it's not just cleans. It's like, if you do good on a stage, they clap for you. I'm like, this is yeah. great. We could probably take lessons from that here in the U.S. Oh. We're encouraging to each other, honestly. For sure. Yeah. 
Although I think the PRS, uh, I, I think everybody is pretty encouraging, but I just mean in general. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it sounds like we've kind of met our, met our overseas family at, at this match, where it's a bunch of people that are like us, they just live someplace else. Yeah, for sure. You could plug any one of those people in on this podcast and they'd be saying the same exact thing that we're saying, just maybe a different accent. So to back things up a little bit, back to the competitive thing, uh, Leon Weatherby said uh, 193 uh, kilometers an hour. I think he won. <laughs> what? Yeah. He said he there's has no, the There is oh. no way my rental car would have gone that fast. No, my van <laughs> started shaking at about 158 or 159. Yeah, Leon, we need to know what kind of car it was you rented. Also, guys, uh, Prentice Wink said hello to all of us. Hey, Prentice. Hi, Prentice. I'll call you tomorrow. <laughs> you never called me back. Oh, he said he went to the uh, Autobahn and a Kia Exceed. A Kia went 193 and it didn't disintegrate. Oh, scary. <laughs> a Kia? Yeah. Okay. Hey, KIA, that, that's how you spell Kia, right? Yeah. That's probably, that's probably like 125 in miles per hour. That's pretty fast. 193 km 2. 119.925. Pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about the language. How much of a barrier was the language? And I will say, don't go to China because nobody over there speaks English. It isn't like some of these countries that, like, they don't speak it there. But I know you a lot of the people did speak English there. Um, and I know I've been on some of the meetings with the uh, board that got this ready. And, and most people had pretty good English, actually, um, surprisingly. But was it a barrier at all with communicating with ROs, figuring out where to go, you know, during the match as well as outside the match? It really wasn't. All of the ROs, all of the instructions for all of the stages were all given in English. They didn't give them in any other language. So everybody must have understood English that's the only language they gave them in and I don't know if there were other matchbooks that were in other languages but ours were all in English and their English was a little bit difficult to understand just because it was quite they some of them had quite an accent but uh but yeah almost everybody spoke English yeah did you guys run into you know generally people are scared to fly like across the united states with a gun did you guys run into any logistical issues flying you know around the world with your, with your guns or anything like that so all of my issues came with flying in and out of the united states flying my rifle out of the united states and back in was much more difficult than it was getting it in and out of france uh, whenever I got to, I, I flew out of Dallas and when I flew out of Dallas and they found out I was going to France and taking a rifle, it took about 30 minutes for me to convince them that I was allowed to take a rifle to France. And they kept assuring me that they weren't worried about themselves. They were worried about what was going to happen to me when I got there. And of course, because of Angela, thank you, Angela, I had all the proper documentation and whatnot. And so I kept showing them this and why I was allowed to take it. And they just, they could not wrap their head around it. So I finally had to convince them that if I got there and I was arrested once I got there, that that was on me. I wouldn't hold American Airlines responsible or anything like that. And that was it. 
But once I got to France, my rifle was just sitting on the ground there. I had to beg somebody from customs to open up the case and look at it. And they kicked me out of there. And when I came back, the same thing. I had to um, I had to basically ask them to pay attention to my rifle to get on the airplane. They literally didn't care. Super easy. <laughs> that sounds about right. American Airlines being the pain in the butt out of everything. <laughs> yes. And coming back the same way, they, they put my passport in like these sealed cases so that I couldn't escape without going through a certain customs line for them to review my documentation. And they were questioning my documentation wherever I came back, but then they asked how Team USA did, not explain to them how the match results went. And they just let me go after that. They were so excited. So <laughs> it, it worked out fine. <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, Clayton how Porter. Oh, go ahead. Clayton Porter said, guys, don't forget to change your kestrels back to yards before you shoot again. I just shot a match, so I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so you, did you like land and go straight to the match or do you like? No, we had a whole week. So we, we just got everything, put it back together and went, drove out Friday night. So <laughs> yeah, Mississippi. So Austin, that beautiful trophy that is in the picture you holding up in France, did you fly home with that? Uh, actually, Buck Holly and Greg Bell volunteered to get that back for me. So I haven't seen it since the awards. I'm assuming it still exists. Rumor has it Buck Holly is in possession of the trophy. So no you telling. You looked up gullible in the dictionary and what the hell? <laughs> no telling what's going on with that trophy right now. But uh, I've, I've got, so I did get my little, uh, these little crystal trophies they sent back with us. So I, I got those through in my carry-on, but the big trophy, they had a like a fitted suitcase for it. And our team trophy for open class was also huge. And I think, as far as I know, Buck's got both of those back in Georgia. <laughs> Leave it to limited class to do all the heavy lifting around here. Yeah. <laughs> you may never see that trophy again. <laughs> I know. It's, so the... Uh, both of those trophies, the the big cup looking thing for the team and the spiral bullet thing for the for the world champion or uh, traveling trophies. So they expect me to bring those to South Africa in a couple of years. I may hang on to it. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> how are they going to make me? <laughs> I was about to ask, was it a trophy that they put names on and it travels or is it yours? It's supposed to be engraved with the, the year and the name, and then it travels. So South Africa, 2024, somebody else might win it. You had a boating accident, didn't you? <laughs> as long as it stays in the United States. So Jose wants to know, why is Coulter the real Bob Lee swagger? Oh, so we had a match back at Anderson Outlaw match probably about three or four years ago. And of course, everybody that's ever shot competitively watches the movie Shooter and likes it. And so Aaron Roberts was uh, match directing the match. And his very first stage was everybody stood in line. Uh, and whenever your time was up, you had to run up this hill, acquire a target that was a thousand yards away. And you had no idea what the what the target was or anything like that until you got up the hill, make your wind call and get a cold bore shot off. Um, and it turned out the target was a Denty Moore soup can like Bob Lee Swagger shot in sheer. <laughs> and so I'm up there with the 223 
and uh, have no business in a soup can cold bore grand, but just happened to guess right or God was on my side that day or what, but I shoot and I hit the soup can, it flies up about three feet in the air like the movie did. So uh became pretty popular after that, but pure luck. That is hilarious. Thanks, Jose. You got another question live? Any other lives, Greg? Um, Brandon asked about the limitations of the production class equipment, um, but Leon answered him over there that it's basically the same thing. It has to be a factory. Yeah, they, they need to make some modifications to production class before 2024 happens. The the trigger the trigger uh, assembly didn't really make much sense in the rule book. Yeah, that uh I, I think there was a lot of a lot of stuff to learn about that class for this year. Yeah. Um we're about at the midpoint of the show. Remember if you're watching us live on Facebook, ask any questions you may have here in the comments and we'll ask them live on air. Other ways to catch us, you can always check back on the Shooter's Mindset Facebook page. The videos will stay up here forever. We usually upload all of the podcasts um, the night after the show. So we'll be on all the different podcast apps, your Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. And then finally, everything eventually ends up on the Shooter's Mindset YouTube page. So that's a great place to look up past episodes. So how did it feel to be on a national team? Did it add a whole new dynamic to be cheering on your teammates? Um, and was there a lot of competition between you guys or was it, uh, just awesome to see somebody wearing those super awesome looking team USA jerseys winning? I thought it was awesome. It was really fun to shoot with girls my age, which is, I think that was really cool that we had brought three teenage girls and won it all. But it was really awesome to have teammates because that's something that it's not very common because you're always shooting like you have like teammates, like sponsor teammates, but they're not like team, they're not like team teammates, you know, but I, that was really cool. Um, we had some friendly competition because we were obviously shooting for the team together, but then we had that day two where we had to kind of shoot for ourselves. So that was cool. I always think it would be neat like golf is an individual sport but they do the different cups that are teams and I always thought even here in the U.S. it would be cool I know they've done some border wars different things you know and I think uh, like Michigan and Wisconsin does some competitions you know where they're kind of in teams but I think it'd be cool if somebody did a match where it was like teams of four you know from you know whether you want to do per state or per region um, and how them go head to head. I think it'd be fun. Austin's just smiling because he's like, bring it. <laughs> so I was going to say, as far as the team aspect, I don't think, so for the open team, I don't think we had any doubts we could win it. We, there, there wasn't so much of a team aspect. Like I've shot some team matches where you, you can help your teammates. So the team aspect was they just took the top four scores from open. So we cheered each other on, but if you know anything about the guys at the top of the open class, you know that we're ultra competitive. And so there was uh, certainly some wanting to beat each other going on. And not that anybody behaved in any way that, you know, was different, but we wanted, we all wanted to win real bad. I can tell you that. And 
So there was that aspect of it. Uh, I know that we were tracking each other's scores pretty close and the live scoring made that possible, which was a cool aspect of the match. But uh, we weren't cheering against our, our open class teammates, but we all wanted to have the highest score at the end of the day, for sure. One thing about, <clears throat> well, I was on the seniors and we got to shoot the first day and then the open and the ladies shot the second day. And so uh, some of these stages were things we haven't done before and you're, we're all talking about it going, you know, how should we shoot that? And so one really cool thing was on the second day I came and I was able to talk to some of the ladies and some of the, the open guys and say, hey, you know, maybe you want to think about doing this this way. This worked really well or don't do it this way. That didn't work. And so in that aspect, it was it was definitely a, a USA team effort. But I tell you what, by the by the fourth day, I knew so many I had made so many friends from the other countries. I was doing the same thing with them. I mean, the Norwegians, the Swedes, the, the Brits. I'm like, hey, don't be careful of this. And <laughs> so, yeah, it was definitely a team, but it pretty much by the end just felt like a regular PRS match back here in the States. Yeah. And to add to what Rusty was talking about, for the days the open class wasn't shooting, the, the ladies weren't shooting. They were there cheering us on the whole time. Greg Bell was bringing me breakfast and asked me what he could do. And he was having some sort of health issues out there, but none of that mattered because all it was about was him trying to help the shooters that were shooting at that time. It, it was, it was awesome. That I loved was, it. The best aspect of the team deal was I went both days whenever limited and seniors were shooting. And that was the most fun because there was no competitive aspect to it. I just got to cheer on my Team USA guys. And it was fun walking up and down the line looking for Team USA jerseys and all my friends. You know, here you're in this crowd of people that don't hardly speak English and you could find your friends from back in the United States and cheer them on and just listen to their stories about how the stages went. And that was that was a ton of fun because that was purely cheering your teammates on with without having to worry about beating any of them. Sure, you were the first teammate to text message me whenever I won. So, I didn't guys like the uh, the format of what well, it was senior and limited, and then open and ladies. So senior and limited shot one day, then open and ladies, and then swap back again. Um, did you guys like this format where you were able to be there and kind of you know cheer on your team or pit crew for your team or whatever? I, I liked it. I liked, um, you know, shooting the limited class uh, obviously didn't have the prestige of the open class. So I liked being able to see these guys and say, hey, I didn't shoot this stage as well. This is what I would have done different. Uh, or this stage was great. This is what I did. This is why I did. It, and this worked out perfect. I like that because it let me feel like I was part of uh, the rest of the team, even on days when I wasn't shooting. So it was super fun watching, being able to watch you know, the rest of the teammates do it. But, uh, you know, I'm, I think we're all super competitive and, and uh, I was kind of wishing that, that I could shoot on the same day as the open, just so we could have all the same conditions. And, you know, there's always that aspect to it. I mean, I wasn't really competing against the, the, uh, the seniors. I was competing against the open. They kicked I, me, but I was still competing against them. <laughs> I like everything about it being on separate days, except for it did draw out the, the time and money investment part of this match. And yeah. it was a big, but more than the money, it was a big 
time investment because <clears throat> they had registration day and then zero day and then the first day of shooting and then four days of shooting and then awards the next day. I mean, it was, so I was in France for 10 days and didn't really plan on doing much besides shoot the match. And so it was, it was a huge investment of time off from work and uh, money and lodging and travel. And I think that to, to respect some of the, the competitors time and investment you might want to consider in the future having it done more like a U.S. match where it's pretty succinct in the time frame. And I, I think I get why they planned that. I think that they thought it could have been a, a much bigger event. And if they had 500 shooters, which could have easily happened, there's just no way they could do it in one in two days. So I get that they did it like that. And, and that's I'm sure that's the way they're going to do it in South Africa, just because yep they're going to need to yeah and, if they, uh, i think no the next one room. will be bigger and yeah. they would have to it, and these venues are not like k&m they they are not these there's no way they could have run 400 people through in a day no no we could no we didn't get done until 7 30 at night the first day and yeah you talk about that that time we were over there for 10 days i think i was gone for 11 days and uh i had the the nrl hunter championship just this last weekend so yeah that was uh only had about four days to prepare for that between them so congrats by the way oh thanks <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a busy couple of months <laughs> so in the preparation for this match we've had the iprf on a few times um rob ramsden and marcus olston um, Pierre, uh, we've had multiple people on from other countries that were kind of spearheading this and getting it going and kind of why they wanted to do it and all that. So through talking with them, we heard a lot about how fortunate the U.S. is, right? That, that we have easy access to guns. We can own them easily. It's not a process. Uh, I don't know people here think it's a process, but compared to overseas, it's not a process as bad. So what are some of the things that you, in talking to some of the other competitors, um, did y'all hear any of the things that they encounter and they have to deal with and overcome to be able to have guns? And the, the worst one I heard of, and I think this was Mario from Italy that told me this, is that they are, that reloading is outlawed. They cannot hand load their ammo. And wow. I, I, that might not have been Italy. I might have that wrong, but at least one competitor told me that. And then on top of that, um, a lot of those guys that, that did shoot factory ammo were shooting factory ammo that came from the U.S. if they could, because a lot of the U.S. manufacturers make the best factory ammo and the most plentiful supply in particular cartridges like 6.5 Creedmoor. So those cartridges in those countries are, are even more at a supply shortage than what we had in the U.S. in the last couple of years. And they're... Uh, if we're spending $2 around on factory ammo, they're probably spending $8 around on, on the ammo, the equivalent in their currency. And it's not just, it's not just guns and ammo. It's every piece of equipment that we use. I mean, they have a, uh, in Europe, they have a 25% um, fee just to bring it into the country, importation fee. And in South Africa, it's 40%. So everything they buy is really expensive, but even then they, 
they don't have access to get it. And a lot of guys, a lot of the guys sold almost everything they had. I think Morgan came home in his underwear. Um, <laughs> he, had, he had a barreled action. I think that's about it. <laughs> wow. I know Buck Holly sold uh, his gun off to like six different people, he said. <laughs> That's crazy. I, I know we're very, very fortunate here. So people don't it's realize. Just, yeah, it's just little things that we take for granted. Like even our shooting bags, the way they have to do is they get, you know, we bad will make a bag and just send it over there blank to them because shipping's so crazy. And then they'll fill it up with whatever kind of fill they have there in South Africa or whatever country it's in. Well, we've all figured out how important the right fill is and the mm -hmm. amount of fill and everything like that. And they're just taking a funnel and filling it up to where it feels right with whatever material they happen to have. So just no comparison. So how do you think that the U.S. can help? Uh, a big part of this match is trying to help those countries. I know a lot of the countries can't even own guns unless they are in a sport that has a federation and that country to have a federation for the sport, have, they have to be part of an international federation. So a lot of uh, this was, you know, to meet some of the requirements so that these countries can continue to have precision rifles. So like, is there anything y'all can think of after talking to them and seeing it that we can do to help grow the sport in those countries? I think, uh just us getting a chance to shoot with them and then and them getting to see um, what's possible with what gear is going to help them kind of focus a little bit their resources on what they need to use i saw a lot of gear that they did have they had some nice gear a lot of countries had some some top quality stuff they brought but uh a lot of it that they had probably wasn't that necessary for them to shoot high scores i think they may you know if they paid attention they probably learned that to some extent um i think they they got to see what gear we had that that was required to shoot the high scores and i think that you know if they want to emulate that it at least help them focus their efforts it doesn't help them anyway politically with laws or anything like that but i think if they have limited resources and they wanted to uh you know get an idea of how to compete the way we do, then they got a really good idea just by being there. We spent a ton of time with them, answered as many questions as we could. I let them borrow every piece of gear I had except my rifle to shoot the to shoot the matches. And it was that made it more fun actually just being friends with them. But I I I thought they also shot way better on the second day. <clears throat> I think the only way I can think of that we really helped them during this match is by um, by just sharing our knowledge with them and that, you know, we've, we've got to compete a lot more than they have and we shared a lot of that with them. Well, I know even some of the guys uh, that are helping plan it from other countries that I said I've gotten to talk to, um, some of them were just like, send us videos. Can, can your channel just send us some of the match videos? We need match videos because they don't you know, we are blessed here because we have a large community and we have a large community of people that, you know, communicate and say like, oh, if you're going to put this target at this yardage, it should probably be this big. Or if you've got this much wind, you probably need to make the target a little bigger, you know, so for them to even know how to build the stages, you know, at, at what distance, what size is reasonable, 
what kind of positional, how long to do it. Um, and so they're just hungry, wanting to see match videos so that they can try and figure out, you know, and match books and try and figure out what's a reasonable match to build their uh, stages. So uh, I, I just think it's one thing. Too off. Go ahead. I got asked like 10 times while I was spinning my Kestrel. And I was like, I was like, that's a big one that I got asked. And I was like, just to get my updated weather. They're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. And I was like, yeah, I didn't learn it till not too long ago, but <laughs> glad I get to share that with you because everyone's probably confused. Like, what is she doing? Like, <laughs> she does this like every stage, <laughs> like I'm confused. And then shooting in the US, like the first match that I even went to, I was like, you know, it was before I even owned a precision rifle. I'm like, <laughs> why do I got to spin the little calculator yeah. thingy in circles? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it's it, it's really wild to see and probably like the, you know, doing the show for so long, um, you know, we, we get to do a lot of cool things. We get to talk to a lot of cool people, but probably one of the coolest things is when we had a bunch of the guys from the IPRF on and they're like, oh, you know, we, you know, we reference your coverage of the AG Cup to build our matches. And I'm like, like around the world, people are watching the videos that we take at AG Cup to design matches. And that's just like really cool that, you know, we're kind of the hub of precision rifle for the world. Um, how was the U.S. team received when you guys showed up both by the, and I guess we've kind of talked about this by the people at the match, but then also with the local French people, um, what's their reactions to, oh, you, you know, you flew here from America with your guns to shoot stuff. We were celebrities at the match. <laughs> Everyone wanted <laughs> pictures with Team USA. <laughs> Yeah, I felt like everybody started off a little bit shy, but two or three stages in, everybody was talking and having fun and, like I said, clapping every time you did good. It, it was awesome. I still keep up with a bunch of them, even though we're back. I was going to ask if y'all got a bunch of numbers exchanged. <laughs> mm -hmm. I started talking trash to the guys in my squad before the first stage even started, so I broke them in quick. <laughs> <laughs> There were some nice locals and there were some not so nice locals. Like when we would like in beach, like there was a huge language barrier. So every restaurant we had to pull out Google Translate and translate the menu, trying to talk to the server ladies who are like, what? <laughs> so that was, that was a bit difficult. And then there's people that are the servers at like the restaurants in like Paris are like, what do you want? Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, my first experience with people was at the Paris rail car uh, place at the Paris airport. And I did not have a good perception of France for about the first four hours of getting my rental car. And then as soon as you got out of the Paris rental car, everybody was super friendly. And I got along great with everybody. That's fun. It's always interesting going to another country and yeah, going with guns is definitely different. So the course of fire, I think everybody probably wants to hear this question um, as much as y'all can remember and tell us like, what was it like? I know y'all said it was kind of like regular ones, but like, was it very positional? Was it um, a lot of on your belly? You know, what kind of was the farthest distance? Tell us a little bit about the course of fire itself. So I'll, I'll try to answer some of those and I'll let the other guys fill in some specifics. So the farthest distance was 900 meters, which is 990 yards. So pretty normal stuff. I, from my point of view, there was a lot of positional. 
maybe two thirds positional or more and a lot of movement in most of the stages. Um, a lot of different props to shoot off of uh, tires, bunkers, tank traps, rooftops, a lot of uh, tripod stage where you had to shoot off a tripod. Uh, I mean, very similar stuff to what we have here, but positional heavy time limits were 90 seconds on everything. Uh, so those aspects of were very similar. I, I do think that they tried to model this very much after uh, the matches we have in the in the U.S. Um, there was, was there never seen. No, I, I would say there wasn't anything I'd never seen. Tank. Yeah. Oh, we shot out of a tank. Yeah, that was really cool. That was really cool. Well, I didn't think there were any give me stages. I felt like every stage was thought out to try to challenge you in a different way. There was a lot of hit to move on. Yeah. Especially on the phones. Those yeah. 90 seconds went quick. Oh, yeah. Well, I um, have shot off a tank before. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> we did it in Vegas years ago, we shot out of a tank. So it wasn't really anything I didn't see. But, uh, you know, if any, I think all of us watched a lot of videos from the European Championship that they held a couple of months before. And man, there was a lot of stuff, a lot of rickety props that they used in, in those. And so I was afraid it was going to be some props that, you know, maybe we used back in 2013, 2014 ropes hanging, you know, and, and all kinds of stuff that was hard to get stable on. But no, everything, you could get stable on everything. It was, uh, I think they did a really good job. But the match certainly was not too easy. It, so my score figures out to somewhere around a 91% for the match, which is very similar to the matches we shoot in the U.S. So they, they I believe they made this match much more difficult than what the international shooters probably were expecting so that for the, they, I think that they probably geared it towards what they thought the U.S. shooters could do. And, and that worked out because um, it could have gone where they where they made it very easy and and the international shooters would have shot a lot higher scores. But then, you know, the scores would have been really bunched up at the top. And I think it worked out well. They, In my opinion, it was very well done course of fire for the venue and for for the occasion. That's fun. It's always interesting. We had a quite a live question, Greg, that was about what's the fire we were going to hit. Uh, oh, Eric asked about the terrain there. Was it open or more of a mix? As far as like what what's downrange? Was it just like a big empty field or? It was totally open. It was a big empty field with tall weeds, so you couldn't see where you were missing. <laughs> oh, nice. That always makes for fun. No yeah, back targets in the shade. Yeah. And, and the targets were targets were small. Yeah, there were a couple in the shade that were hard to see, hard to see the background when you'd miss. And it was a headwind all four days, but shot all shots were in the same direction. Yeah, I've, well, heard, a, I've heard a lot about the about this headwind at this match. Like from like I'm pretty sure on zero day someone was like, Oh, there's a headwind, and I don't think it stopped until the end. I felt bad for the y'all limited and seniors that shot on the day on that day two 
oh that was some rough wind we went out there and i was like please stop for tomorrow this is so bad <laughs> yes. I, would, I would literally time out just look at mirage in between shots to try to figure out if it shifted from left right right to left day day two for limited was by far the worst wind that anybody had to shoot it limited and seniors and and then thank goodness day two for open and ladies i think was a little bit easier than that yeah it was more like our day one that's crazy all right so each of you need to answer this and coulter's not going first uh, <laughs> what was your favorite stage tell us a little bit about your favorite stage who's going what I was gonna say the tank, but that was just kind of just because I've never shot up of anything like that. And it was my first day of school picture too, because I missed the first two days of school. And the day I shot off the tank, that was my first stage, and it was my first day of school, senior year. So <laughs> that was pretty cool. That that's a great reason for it to be your senior your favorite favorite stage <laughs> they had they had one stage actually they rolled one stage into two stages it was a 20 round stage and instead of 90 seconds they gave us three minutes that uh that really created a a time crunch on that but um i think that was my favorite stage because it was 20 shots in three minutes from man i don't know how many positions but you had to really really rock and roll through that and uh i don't know i really enjoyed that stage i don't think they should have done it like that but it was i think it was <laughs> two yeah two target distances yeah yeah that was out of that like rock castle looking thing right yeah yes yeah, correct yeah it stopped up the whole day <laughs> but it looked super fun and it was rusty's favorite stage so yeah and he shot really well <laughs> it made uh made for a mandatory mag change huh yeah. Yes, I did. <laughs> Austin, um, what's your favorite? I'm going to tell you my least favorite because Rusty took my favorite. They had these two horrible bunkers that were tiny. <laughs> the windows were too small to get my bag in right. I could. I'm usually pretty flexible, and however I tried to crawl in in there was the wrong way. And I shot a four. So I was clean on the first day. I was clean through the first seven stages. Hadn't missed a shot. And this was my eighth stage, and I dropped four out of eight on that on that stage. So <laughs> went from clean on the day to to four down in a hurry. And then uh, I don't know if anybody cleaned that for the whole match. Uh, Austin Orgain shot a seven. I don't. I didn't even get to watch him shoot that. I watched Tate Streeter. This is probably what makes it my favorite stage. If it had to be my favorite, Tate Streeter shot in front of me the whole time. And so while I was waiting, trying to figure out how I was going to crawl in and out of these bunkers, I watched Tate. For those of you guys that don't know, he's like six inches taller than me and probably 80 pounds heavier. And he and he went in there so fast. He got all of his eight shots off, which I didn't see anybody else do that. I don't know how he did that. And I only got six shots off and I missed two of them. And I think Tate either got a six or a seven, but I don't know how he did that. And it, it was a horrible stage for me, but I, I'll remember that one. I won't remember any of the ones I cleaned. <laughs> Mm. Coulter so probably the castle stage like Rusty was saying or on day two there was one where you were shooting off of these big wine barrels so between castles and wine barrels being in France I felt like it was fitting so I enjoyed both of those I like wine yeah <laughs> it was good that's pretty funny 
Leon it's said it was there. nine positions on that uh, 20 round stage. Yeah. Wow. That's right. You had to you had to shoot the, the fifth position and then do a mag change and then shoot the fifth position again. Two shots from yeah, it, it was near far for each position. So, so it was a bunch funny, of movement. Funny story, real quick on that stage. That was our first stage of the day. That was the first stage I shot of the whole match. And the South African guy, Garth, if he's he'll probably watch this. He was going up right before me. And we asked him, like, what score do you think you're gonna get? And he said, I'm gonna get a 20. And I jokingly said, there's nobody in South Africa good enough to get a 20 on this stage. <laughs> and, and Garth went and proved me wrong. He got a 20. So props, Garth. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did start off fresh. That's awesome. So how did y'all enjoy being in a squad with nobody from the same country as you? I thought it was awesome. It was really fun. Like, obviously, at first, we all wanted to be like in us like at least with someone we knew and we were kind of disappointed when we got there but then it ended up being really fun because you got to meet a whole new realm of people and mess around with brand new people from all around the world and get to listen to them talk and their stories and everything so that I thought it was really fun and cool I, I agree 100% just getting to experience 10 different cultures or however many people were in the squad. It, it, it was perfect how they did. Yep. I had a great experience with the international guys. They, they were awesome to shoot with. They had, they spoke surprisingly good English for the most part. And they cheered us on, clapped every time I cleaned the stage it was an awesome feeling. So that was nice. Some of the most fun matches I've ever done are ones where I just did not squad with anybody I knew. Either I missed squatting and then just got thrown on, or I went to a match that was not in my region and I didn't know anybody and I just jumped on a squad and I ended up having the best time, I think. <laughs> yeah, that is one of the fun, like that's probably one of my favorite things about the Precision Rifle Company is like at the end of the match, you're almost guaranteed to have a new friend, especially if you end up with people you've never met before. Um, so I have a question. Do you guys think that the U.S. should adopt that whole sports coat at the awards ceremony thing? Because I thought that was kind of <laughs> Well, I was wearing flip-flops and shorts, so I'm probably not the right person to ask about that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even get to wear a jersey, so <laughs> to even shoot the match. So I don't even know if we would have gotten him to wear a, a suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was way too hot for a jacket. Yeah, it was. I don't know how yeah. they did that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that'd be hot. That'd be miserable. <laughs> well, one good thing about having it in South Africa is it's their winter. So when they have it in two years in the summer, it will be, uh, it'll be very pleasant down there. So Ooh. looking forward to that. That's true. That will be. I was, I was there. Year. <laughs> I was in South Africa two weeks before the, the match. So um, yeah, it was extremely pleasant. If there was anything about the match that you could change, what would it be? Hmm. Match flow. Yeah. Yep. Took too long. Yeah, two days worth of zeroing before the match ever even started. On the, uh, on the first day of shooting at five o'clock in the evening, I had only shot five stages. And I had five to go. And yeah. 
two of those included the uh, the twenty round stage. So once I did get to that, it went a little faster. But I was afraid it was going to get dark before we got done. Yeah, I wondered about that because somebody posted. I knew y'all were what six hours off of us. Seven. Yeah. And somebody posted, and I was oh, like, yeah, six for you. Yeah. Yeah, for me it was six. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Somebody posted something about you know, we're, or I guess I was looking at scores, and I was like, dude, they're either way behind on posting scores, or they're not done, and that's crazy looking at what time it is. So I was worried too. Lot- we're daylight. Yeah, they do the live updates well. It was amazing how up to date everything was that's, for scores. That's the one thing takeaway from me that uh, would be awesome if the U.S. matches could could figure that scoring system out. It for was sure. a, just a website that anybody could go to on their phone and just pull up the scores, and it was quick. Like I'd I'd watch somebody down the way finish the stage, walk off the stage, and two minutes later I could look at their score. That's cool. I don't know what it was there. Yeah. It can be done with practice score. You know, if we if we did it a similar way that we do AG Cup, just hit post to you, know, you can update I'm the sure, results live. I'm sure you'd have to have all of your iPads with a data plan, which might be the hangup. Well, you That's could still, say. you could still import it into one cell phone. Yeah, they were doing them. They were doing the scoring on their cell phone. I don't know how they were doing it, but I think those were cell phones that they were using. At least a lot of the the ROs. And so I would imagine that you have to have service, which I guess back East, you guys probably don't have that. A lot of, a lot of our matches out West, we don't have service where we're, where we're shooting, but uh, that's one limitation, but it would be awesome if we could, if we could get that, that scoring system, that live scoring system out to the U S. So the other thing that's cool is they took way too long for the lunches. The lunches were like an hour and a half or two hours. But the cool thing about it was these food trucks they brought in were absolutely phenomenal. Some of the best food I had while I was there. And for the spectators, they had another truck that was a champagne truck. And you could get glasses of champagne and watch people shoot. So it, it was <laughs> neat. That's pretty cool. <laughs> hey, some, someone text Tom and tell him we need a champagne truck for, for AG Cup. That would be dangerous. <laughs> that is probably the last thing we need. I think we it's need like it. lunch breaks normally too. Like like all the like the shops and everything closed down for lunch. So when we're like before we were gonna go spectate, we were trying to go to the store and beach and you couldn't because it's not open because they're going to lunch at the same time you're trying to do stuff. So I thought that was it was a little bit of a tough situation. That would be so confusing. <laughs> that would be like half, half of my shopping if stores closed at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. So uh, who all has already started planning their uh, trip for South Africa in 2024? And for those of you listening, the next IPRF Center Fire World Championship is going to be in South Africa in 2024. I, I still have to finish getting caught up on my work emails. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I don't even want to think about it. The France trip was a, it was tons of fun, awesome experience. It was stressful and it was really long. And I'm, I'm glad to be back. And, and also qualifications, not a guarantee. The U S qualifications are, are very difficult. I'd say Rusty's guaranteed in the senior category. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of shooters out there. A lot of good uh, senior shooters out there that, that didn't come to this. So, I'm looking forward to uh, 
to some of those other guys applying and, and coming next time. I think we could have a strong senior team if, the, if those guys would get off their rocking chairs, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah, don't name names. Bill, Bill Allison, Bill Cashin. For those in the, that want to compete in the open class, this is how difficult it is. You basically have to average being in the top six for three years straight to be one of the guys that that goes, which is it seems like incredibly difficult. I'm trying to I know it was funny leading up to it. Everybody was trying to figure out if they were going to make it. I had, I won't say who, but I had one person that called me wanting to know if I knew scores from a such and such match. Um, that's not a PRS match. So it wasn't as easy to find. And he was trying to figure out where he was going to fall. <laughs> Apparently he was doing a spreadsheet, not only for him, for probably all Austin, you were probably in on that spreadsheet. They were trying to figure out who was going to possibly qualify and, it was interesting, all the jockeying for position and everybody trying to figure out who could go. Yeah, I, I really hope that the IPRF uh, cleans up the qualifications a little bit for production class. It made it really hard for American-made rifles to make it into production class over there. So hopefully they'll change that. I'm sure that they'll be uh, watching this show when I think it's the middle of the night, mostly over there now. So. Yeah. We have some qualification matches, some qualifier matches for this. Like all of the other countries, they had qualifier matches to determine who their teams were going to be. We just, um, I think we kind of got behind the eight ball on this and we didn't have any qualifier matches. They just took scores from certain matches and, and see how you did and stacked you up like that. But hopefully we'll have some kind of qualifier matches that we'll know that we need to go to and we don't have those things figured out yet, but hopefully we will. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping that it's like a AG Cup type deal where it's, okay, guys, you know, it's December. So here's the list of 12 matches that you could shoot next year, and we're going to look at your best three of them or something along those lines. Something, yeah. It was definitely interesting to see the whole – it was very cool to sit at home and watch the updates and some of the live videos and watch the scores and – um I think it really got the buzz kind of going here, which was very cool, I thought. See, not being there, I think I shared more videos on the shooter's mindset, videos and pictures and posts and everything. Just this looks applicable, share, share, share. <laughs> I didn't, I had no idea they were doing the whole thing live and I was shooting the, my second day and like halfway through the day, everybody's coming up to me going, man, you're killing it. You're and, and I'm like, how did, how do you know that? And uh, yeah, that, that system is awesome. Definitely something to look at. Greg, are there any more lives? We are good on the live side. So the day that the awards, well, the day that it was all decided who, who was the top of everything, Greg was like, we got to have the winners from each division. Come on, let's have them Tuesday night. And I was like, let's let them get home from France. They're going to be jet lagged. <laughs> they have probably been in France for at least a week, if not two. They're probably wanting to get home and like, you know, hug their dog and clean their house and, you know, <laughs> do all the things they haven't been doing. So it, we, we decided to wait a week just so y'all could uh, rest up because I know it was probably exhausting. Oh, and see kids. 
Hey. Are you proud of daddy? Yes. Did he shoot good? Yes. <laughs> How old are you? Five. Five. Are you going to shoot like daddy when you get older? Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> For those of you listening on the podcast, Austin's son just came and joined us. <laughs> we saw a little head pop in. <laughs> Well, if we're good on lives, I think that we can wind it down to shout outs. So we won't make Coulter go first. Thank you. <laughs> How about if we let Rusty go first this time? <laughs> shout outs. Huh? Well, the first one's got to be to my wife. I mean, staying home and watching the kids and taking care of the house and everything. You know, she does a lot of that while I shoot and I sure appreciate that. Um, I hope she knows that, but yeah, I got a shout out to Axis Works. They build all my guns for me and they do awesome. And Proof Barrels, Tate at Impact, and I'm on Team MPA, Hawkins Precision for their uh, for their rings and, and uh, Short Action Precision. They do a lot for me too. So I appreciate all the help that all those guys give me. That's awesome. How about... We go Peyton. I want to definitely thank my parents <laughs> for basically getting me everywhere and doing everything for me. <laughs> um, and uh, I want to thank uh, Angela Zane, obviously. I know everyone's going to thank her, but she really put everything together. And they were really the reason that I got to be here because uh, Allison reached out to me before this happened and uh, basically told me that I need to go so uh, that's how that all came together and I also want to thank everyone who supports me uh, Collis, SNS Precision, Redbeard Gunworks, Webad, Flatline Ops, Impact, KRG, and Modern Day Sniper um, yeah and all my mentors and everyone who's helped me along the way that's right <laughs> all right how about Austin all right I thought of some. All right. Two awesome companies and awesome friends. Tate Streeter with Impact Actions and John Kyle and Amy Lentritt with uh, Foundation Stocks. Those two companies were uh, stepped up and volunteered to help me with travel expenses. And I appreciate that so much. And one other shout out, my good buddy, Greg Harris in Kansas, just won his first two day national PRS match. He's been working really hard on it for the last three years and he just won one in Mississippi. So congrats, Greg. Yeah, he was in my squad. He was awesome. <laughs> I shot before him every time. <laughs> oh, again. Oh, if that tells you, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Did he be for his win calls? Yeah, maybe. No, <laughs> it was mostly straight up. So it didn't really matter, but. <laughs> but you still can take credit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. He could wear that hat. Oh yeah. <laughs> I got another one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And how about Coulter? Well, to piggyback off of Peyton, thank you so much to Angela. Like I said, none the organization would not have been there without her doing all the legwork and all the heavy lifting and everything. So thanks to that. Uh, thanks to my wife, Bridget, for getting it together. So I was a little bit different from everybody else. I brought 
nine family members are there with me and made a true European vacation because none of us had ever been to Europe before. So we got to see all the sites and enjoy everything. And the family was out there watching me shoot the match. So thanks to all of them, because I know nine hour plane ride to watch Uncle Coulter shoot probably wasn't the easiest thing to do. Uh, and then, you know, thanks to my my shooting family, uh, Masterpiece Arms, the rifle they built for me was amazing. Uh, Chase Curtis for my action, Webad for all my gear and whatnot. And uh, thanks to Capstone for sending me out Lapua Brass two weeks before the match when we found out we had to start reloading for it. The, the brass was in the mail two days after that. Uh, Eric Cortina for my tuner break. I wasn't sure what I was going to be getting into going over there to Europe. So having the luxury of knowing that I could tune my rifle on the fly if I needed to was amazing. And then uh, somebody completely unrelated to that is uh, Andy Hawkins with Hawkins Precision. You were the first person to reach out and call me and say congratulations when anything happened. And you've been a friend throughout this whole thing. So thanks to you for everything. That's it. And then Greg, I usually do you first and I skipped over because there were so many. I was stressing over who to call on first. <laughs> I skipped you, so now you go. <laughs> yep, I have GSL suppressors, my favorite little pew quieter back here. Uh, shooters and sharpshooters with Augusta, our local indoor and outdoor ranges. Always, always been there. Uh, PDC Custom, most beautiful rifle chassis known to man. Shooters World Powder, um, Hunter's HD Gold, Fix-It Sticks, and Bortec. All right. And then I just want to shout out all of y'all for coming on the show and spending like two hours of your Tuesday night after you've done all this to represent our country and gone across the world. And I know you're probably behind on work emails still and all of that. So thank you for spending time. I think everybody kind of wanted to hear from our champions and kind of what it was like and what to expect. And I think a lot of people are probably looking forward to 2024 and maybe wanting to try to qualify. So I'm glad to be able to have y'all on here to help share that knowledge. I know somebody mentioned that they got a lot of information about this match from watching this show. And that's not a that's nothing to do with me and Greg. That's the people that come on here and are willing to give their time to kind of express the give their knowledge and, and express their opinions and all about stuff. So I appreciate y'all all coming on here. And then I just want to thank my husband for letting me do this two hours every Tuesday night and and tolerating all of that as he has to be quiet in the house. <laughs> so with that, that will be a wrap for episode 384. I had to look again because I almost forgot. And we will see everybody next time.